Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. You remember as a kid going to the doctor for your yearly physical, um, you know, because when you get old, you quit going to the doctor, or at least I do. I can't tell you the last time I've been to one. But I remember that always you would go to the doctor and they would slide you up as a kid to the end of that table. You mean they would pull out that little hammer? I remember as a kid, I knew what was coming. I guess being a prideful little athlete, I was like, I'm gonna fight it, I'm gonna fight it. It's not gonna move, it's not gonna move, but every time, poof. But, but literally, I would sit every time, but I would prepare going in the room and saying, that doctor's not gonna win today. He's not gonna win today. And I always had it in my mind that I was not going to respond to what the doctor was doing to my knee. But we all know that never turned out very well. And if it was, we'd have had more problems than we would like to talk about. But this response is what we're gonna focus on today because response is a reaction or a result of something that constitutes an action. How many of you are movie watchers? If it's a sad movie, you do what? You cry. If it's a funny movie, you laugh. If your team wins, you celebrate. Life is filled full of responses. And that's what we're gonna talk about today is when we look at the word response, I want you to be able to think about today the children of Israel. And what the children of Israel are going to do today is you're gonna see their response to them finally comprehending how much God truly loves them. You're gonna see them respond because they understand the size of God's love and what all God has done for them. And just like Pastor Brandon said, we are going to cover three chapters today. Now, just to let you know how much encouragement I get, the porters immediately when he said that, Robin goes, <laughs> my wife even leans over and she goes, three chapters? She goes, we're gonna be here till dinner time. She said, should I have packed a lunch? No, you will understand in just a minute. Don't panic, I promise. But we are gonna cover three chapters today, but there's three things that we're gonna focus on. And I want you to go ahead and write these three things down so that you'll be able to track um, with us and stay with, the, with as we walk through this passage. But the three things that we're gonna focus on today from these three chapters is number one, we're gonna see a response to God's love. Number two, we're gonna see the placement of God's people. And number three, we're gonna see the impact of God's work through his people. So we're gonna see a response to God's love, we're gonna see a placement of God's people, but then we're gonna see the impact of God's work through his people. 
And so I want to start out by actually reading the last verse of chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Nehemiah. If this is your first Sunday with us, we are actually coming to the close next Sunday. will be our last day in the book of Nehemiah. Um, but today we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38 through a good portion of chapter 12. Um, so we're going to start reading in 938 today. We read here in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, in view of all this, that's very important, in view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. The very first thing that I want you to take note of is that phrase, in view of all this. All this refers to everything we talked about last Sunday. Because if you remember in chapter nine last week, we walked through what we called a worship service, a church service for the children of Israel. And last week was, was made up of confession, it was made up of praise, it was made up of prayer, but it was also made up of every time they confessed, they were reminded that God forgives, that God met them right where he was or right where they were. And the tagline from last week was this, God's faithfulness always trumps our failures. God's faithfulness always trumps our failures. So as we read in chapter nine, they constantly recalled their failures. They constantly talked about their rebellion, but they also in that were reminded of God's response to them. In spite of their sin, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their mistakes, God continued to rescue them, God continued to restore them, and God continued to love them in spite of who they were and what they had done. And so what we see this week is that all of this is that. They're going to respond to everything that they celebrated in chapter nine. And so when you read chapter 10 in verses one through 27, you see that this covenant, this commitment, it was signed by all of the leaders, by the Levites and the priests. In verses one through 27 of chapter 10, it just gives the detail of every leader that signed this document, every leader that made this commitment. But what I love most about chapter 10, the very beginning, is you see exemplified true leadership. And what I mean by that is the true leader never ask of his people what they're not willing to do themselves. And so a true leader was leading the way by committing to this covenant with God. They were the first ones up to the plate. They were the first ones to lead by being out front. And so we see that this is the example of true leadership. And that's what I love. I love when we see that leaders who are taking the bull by the horns and leading the way by being the example but as we see that it began with the leadership, once they stepped out in faithfulness as leaders, I want you to look at verse 28 of who quickly followed. I love the first phrase, the rest of the people. The rest of the people 
the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, along with their wives and sons and their daughters, and everyone who is able to understand and who has separated themselves from surrounding peoples to obey the law of God. Then verse 29 says, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to obey carefully all the commands, the ordinances, and the statutes of the Lord our Lord. You see, the rest of the people, all of the people followed the leadership of the men who stepped out front and said, we are going to do this. But the first thing we noticed, the first thing they committed to, before we even get into the covenant, something that really jumped off the page to me is the first thing you notice it says they did, it says they separated themselves. They separated themselves from the surrounding peoples. Now what that identifies and what that lets us know that we need to understand is they simply separated themselves from everybody else who was not ready to commit. They separated themselves for those who were not ready to commit to this, this covenant, this commitment, because there were some who were ready and some who were not. And so as a result of the leadership, the people followed and they separated themselves from the people who were not ready to commit. Now that's very important. Because you see, they had to step away from the people who were causing them to stumble. They had to step away from the people who were going to tempt them to live outside of the commandments of God. They were having to step away from the people that were going to tempt them to go back on their word, to go back on this covenant, to go back on this commitment. They were having to make separation between the people that were continuing to cause them to stumble. Now we could stop right here, give a response, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us because the truth of the matter is we've all got people like that in our lives. There's people that we must separate ourselves from. And those people that we need to separate ourselves from are the ones who cause us to live in opposition to what God has called us to as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now understand, it doesn't say that you don't love them, but you are to set boundaries. The example that we use oftentimes is that we always say that it's a whole lot easier to get pulled into a swimming pool than pull someone out. That's exactly what this is talking about. You've got to set boundaries. There's people that you're going to have to separate yourself from that tempt you to live in opposition to what you know God has for you. J.D. Mueller always says it to his kids, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And so what we see in this moment of time is we see a, a unified group led by a bunch of leaders who are being followed by a bunch of people who have decided, hey, you know what? We're gonna make ourselves be different. We're gonna set ourselves apart and we're gonna make an oath to submit to what God has commanded us to do. Now understand, this oath 
It was not a little pinky promise. It wasn't just a little, hey, we got this. This was very extreme. It was very graphic. And in that, this ceremonial oath, the way that it would transpire, the way that it would look is they would, they would literally take an animal and they would slice the animal from the tip of its nose to the tip of its tail. And they would place this animal, so be it on, a, on an altar or a, or a path, they would place one half on one side and one half on the other. And in the middle would be a valley where the blood that was leaving that animal's body, that blood would make its way to the middle of this trough. And every person that was committing to this oath would take a, take a journey, would walk through this valley. And so as they walked through the valley, the blood from this animal would stain the hem of their garments. And on that garment, it would absorb the blood. And so now, as people would make their way about their life, about their daily routine, they were identified by the blood of the animal that had been soaked up on their, the hem of their garment. And so now they can identify who's made this, who's made this covenant, who's made this commitment. And by them saying this, by them walking through and absorbing the blood up to the hem of their garments, the weight of the oath was that they said, if we break this commandment, then we deserve what took place in that animal's life. If we break this commandment, if we break this covenant, if we break this oath, then we deserve death. That's how serious they took this oath. That's how serious they took this commitment. But what I love about this is it was creating such accountability. They were letting everybody know, hey, we're all in. And we as God's children are going to do this together. We're gonna do what God has called us to do together. Because you do know there's, in most cases, there's strength in numbers. There's strength when a group of people are, are unified, all paddling in the same direction. I, I think back to when I was in high school. I had a group of about, I don't know, seven to 10 guys that were, that were my guys. We played every sport that we possibly could. And we begin to see some of the men, some of the young guys, the, the juniors and seniors in high school above us that continued to fall short. They got involved in the party scene. They were just doing outlandish things that was honestly hijacking their, their sports, if you would. And I remember as an eighth grade boy, I can remember sitting in the basement of a young man's house that night and us committing to one another. Hey, you know what? We're committing to each other tonight that we're not gonna get involved in this party scene. We're, we're gonna hold each other accountable, we're gonna hold each other's feet to the fire, and we're gonna stay committed to what we're saying to one another right now. And did you know for the next four years, that whole group, we never struggled with alcohol, we never struggled with drugs, simply because there was about 10 guys that said, hey, you know what, we're gonna do this together. But sadly enough, we graduated high school. Everybody went their way. And guess what? There's about 80% of those young men who fail, who gave in to temptation, who gave in to struggles 
And I believe it was because they lost the accountability. They lost the unity that we had established as 13-year-old boys. See, there's strength in numbers. There's strength in unity. And that's what you're seeing that's beginning to happen with the children of Israel. Being, number one, being led out front by their leaders and by all the people following, saying, hey, we're unified. We're gonna take this oath together. We're gonna make a covenant together. Now, before we get into the details of the covenant, before we get into the details of this commitment, there's something that I've gotta make sure that you understand. I don't want you to be misled. I want you to understand their response. I want you to understand what triggered their response to commit to God. They're not committing to God to earn God's love. They're not committing to God so that they can follow all of these rules and that God will love them more. But what they're doing is simply responding to the fact that they know how much God loves them. So they're not doing it to earn God's love. They're doing it in response because they know they're loved by God. This is what this whole thing is about. It's a response. They're committing to God, to follow God, to surrender to him because they know how much he loves them and they know they can trust his plans. They know they can trust his commandments. So before we go any further, I want you to know the reason for their commitment is because they're responding to the fact that they know they are loved by God. That's why they're committing. That's why they're doing what they're signing this covenant and doing this oath for. Now, I want us to keep reading. I want us to keep reading because in verses 30 through 39, you're basically gonna see all of the areas that they struggle in. You're gonna see all of their struggles. They're gonna see all the ways that they have given in to temptation. And this is what they're having to commit to. They're, they're committing to follow these laws. They're saying, God, we're gonna get back to doing what we know we're supposed to do. We're gonna get back to the standard that you've set for us. Look in chapter 10, verse 30, and you'll see the first thing, the details of the vow. Verse 30 says, we will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples and will not take their daughters as wives of our son." Now understand, this simply means a lot of people will take this verse out of context to, to make it say things that it really doesn't say, but here's the simple meaning behind what they're vowing to. They're simply vowing to not let their children marry unbelievers. That's what they're committing to. We're not gonna let them be unequally yoked. We're gonna commit, we're not gonna let our, our daughters marry those unbelievers. We're not gonna let them walk into a, comp to a relationship where they're unequally yoked. But again, they're not saying that they're not to, to associate. They're not saying that they have to isolate. They're not saying they have to cut themselves off. They're just saying that we're gonna commit to not let our daughters be in an intimate relationship with someone who doesn't agree with what we're covenanting ourselves to, with what we're signing, with what we're walking in. And this is the principle you're gonna hear about a moment in a little while. It's the principle of insulation, not isolation. Because moms and dads, you know that it's our responsibility to some level, this principle of insulation. We're not to teach our kids to not associate with a lost world. But there is a place where we are to insulate them, all the while not isolating them. 
We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But keep reading verse 31. You'll see the next thing that they're committing to. When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year, and we will cancel every debt. I wish that's something we would just get back to real quick. <laughs> Let's just cancel it all. Let's push reset. Praise the Lamb of God. But anyway... But the thing that they're committing to here is to honor the Sabbath. And I know for a lot of us, we, we grew up maybe old school, where you grew up where you honored the Sabbath. Where it came Sunday, you didn't do anything. You went to church, you came home, and you got on the couch. And you watched a race or you watched the Chicago Bulls. One or two, that's what you did. We honored the Sabbath. It was this day of rest. And I know culture has changed. I know things have, have shifted. And I know we live in a life that is more busy now than it was 30 years ago. But if I could encourage you as a child of God to do anything, it would be to follow the example of the children of Israel and honor the Sabbath. If you're not taking a day of rest, if you're not taking a day to focus on your relationship with God and to love your family, church, you won't make it. You've got to honor the Sabbath. And that's what the children of Israel are saying. We've got to get back to honoring this day of rest. But not only are they saying this, this one day a week, but they're also saying the, the Sabbath year, which means that on the, the seventh year is they would let the fields rest. They wouldn't plow them. They wouldn't plant them. And so we see that they're committing to the seventh year. We're going to let the soil rest. And on the seventh day, I'm going to let my soul rest. And we see that they know how important that they've got to get back to spending time with a God who loves them, but also just taking that season of rest to where you can rest physically, mentally, and spiritually. You know, if we were to get real honest around here, I would say that that's something that we all fall short of. Because we think that we're not being productive if we're not busy. Can I tell you, you need that Sabbath. You need that day of rest. And I know that's not popular these days. But as a child of God, this is something we need to be intentional about. In verses 32 through 39, you're going to see them discuss all of the things that they've got to get back to giving back to God. You see, they acknowledge that all that they have, all of their resources, they acknowledge that it's a gift from God. But what they've gotten to a place is, is they've gotten to, to where they're holding a lot more than they're giving back to him who's given it to them in the first place. And in 32 through 39, it's dealing with all of the resources that God has entrusted them with. And it does, it goes through a list. It talks about their gold and their silver. It talks about their, their food. It talks about the items for sacrifice. It talks about materials for the altar. And then it goes on to talk about the 10% of their tithe. Now, I don't wanna get into the details of all of the areas that we know that they're withholding from God by their admittance. We don't have time to discuss all of that, but there is one thing that 
If you take time and you read verses 32 through 39, there's gonna be something that I believe that will jump out to every one of us. And it's the word first. You see, you see made mention the first fruits, the firstborn. And again, it mentions firstborn. It talks about the first batch. And then again, it mentions first fruits. The reason that this is so important is because that word first simply stands for giving God your very best. Giving God the best that you have to offer. And so the question that I, that I had to examine in my own heart was when it comes to everything in my life, whether it be my time, whether it be my talent, whether it be my finances, is God getting my first or is God getting my leftovers? And there's many areas in my life that I can honestly look at and have to admit before a holy God who loves me and sent his son to die for me that in many cases, the God who loves me gets my leftovers. And I would venture to say that there's probably a lot of you, I hope, that can relate to me with that perspective. That a lot of times we simply just give God what we don't need. We simply give God what we're not gonna benefit from. And I know that we always harp on and you hear a lot of times in churches talking about our financial positions. That we spend, we spend, we spend, we get what we want, we want, we want, we want, we want, and then all of a sudden, hey, if I've got a little bit left over, then I'll put it in the offering basket when it comes around. Can I tell you, that's something that me and my family have honestly been convicted of over this summer, is giving God the very best. And what I've learned is that I can't outgive God. I can't outgive God. And I say it to, this, to our office all the time. I mean, I know we celebrate something as simple as carpet and a polished floor outside. And some of you are going, why is it such a big deal? It's a big deal. Many of you have prayed for the carpet to get gone for years. It's gone. Ain't that right, Tim McDonald? Look, he, he gave me one of these. But the beauty of that is what we have to understand is that I remember many a conversation that Miss me and me and Miss June would have in the office, and she would be overwhelmed at your generosity. And I would always tell Miss June, I'd say, Miss June, God's gonna keep giving it so that we keep letting it go. God's gonna keep giving it. So we're gonna keep letting it go. And that is why we've said again, again, and again that our list of ministry partners has gone from about two to three lines to now we're getting close to a page and a half of ministry partners. It's people that we're able to invest in, that we believe in what God's doing. And that is a direct reflection of you giving from your first fruits so we as a church can give from ours. We don't need to give God our leftovers. Even when it comes to the aspect of time, 
How many times, no pun intended, how many times do we just give God our leftover time? Well, God, if I have time, I'll pray today. God, if I have time, I'll open your Bible. And if that's the case, can I go ahead and tell you more times than not, you ain't gonna have the time. Because if the enemy knows that's your heart, guess what he's gonna do? He's just gonna make you busy. It's that simple. He's just gonna make you busy. But is God getting our very best? The children of Israel are to a place where they're committing, God, we've gotten away from giving our best. And we wanna make a commitment, God, we're gonna get back to giving our best. But all of that leads and, and builds the anticipation to what the very last part of verse 39 says. Verse 39 of chapter 10, I want you to look what it says. The very last sentence in my Bible, I don't know about what version you're reading, but it says, we will not neglect the house of our God. So they've just talked about being open-handed with all that they have, and now they're turning the page and saying, hey, we will not neglect the house of God. Now, what we have to understand is that in this context, this is not talking about a church building. They're not talking about that we will not neglect the church building, but they're simply saying and making a commitment here, this, this house of God would be considered the kingdom of God. This would be considered God's family. And so what the children of Israel are doing is they're saying, God, we're gonna commit to do anything and everything that we can to make sure that your kingdom continues to grow, to make sure that the family of God continues to expand. And God, we're willing to commit that we're not gonna neglect your family. We're not gonna neglect your household. But maybe for us, in our context, maybe that does need to be the heart of our attendance for Sundays. Because the truth of the matter is, is there's a lot of us that will come to church if we have some leftover time. But even how culture shifts, and it's a sad reality, and this is just a fact now, and it, and it is what it is, but I, I remember when I was growing up, if you were a regular church attender, you went every Sunday. It just, it is what it is. You just went every Sunday, and you had lunch after church for the family. That's just how life happened. But did you know now, statistically, a regular church attender you're qualified as a regular church attender if on average, just below two times a month, you show up at church. That's considered a regular church attender. Church, I don't know about you, but I can't afford, even as a child of God, a part of this family, a part of the family of God, I can't afford to only be with you two times a month. I need to be with you. I need to be in the house of God. I need to worship with my family. And so what would it look like if we took this perspective? Instead of giving God our leftover time to his house, what if we just committed? Hey, I'm gonna be a regular attender the old school way. Chelsea will cook lunch for everybody. All right, you got that? Domino's is gonna get rich. They're no pop, no little Caesars. They're a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> but all joking aside, 
the children of Israel were committing to the growing of God's kingdom. And so now I know we've been talking about all of this is in response to God's love. What we're gonna do now is we're gonna shift and look at the placement of God's people. So they're not only gonna commit to the law of God, but they're gonna commit to the work of God. Now keep in mind, the walls in Jerusalem, the walls have been rebuilt, the doors and the gates have been hung, but one thing that we have failed to mention is is Jerusalem is still like a ghost town. There's still not a lot going on inside the city of Jerusalem. On the outskirts, it looks great, but there's not a lot going on inside the city of Jerusalem. And so now God wants to reestablish his kingdom in Jerusalem to be a light in the darkness, to be a light in this community. And what is mind-blowing to me is the very people that he wants to use to reestablish his kingdom are the people that constantly rebel against him, the people that constantly live outside his law. But God and his love and his grace and mercy says, hey, but I'm gonna use you anyway. How many of you are thankful for that principle, that the heart of God has not changed? That God still wants to use us, flawed people, to build his kingdom here on earth. I don't know about you, but we could call time out right there like a full time out and just be humbled before a holy God saying, God, I'm not worthy to be used. God, I'm not worthy to be used to build your kingdom. But now what we're gonna see is he begins to place them where he's gonna use them to build the kingdom. Look at chapter 11. Verses one and two. It says, now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of 10 to come to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine tenths remained in their towns. That was outside the city of Jerusalem. Verse two, the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So to put this in a nutshell, God's gonna place some people inside the city of Jerusalem, but he's also gonna be sending people out. He's gonna put some inside the city, but he's also gonna put some out. But the whole intention is so that the inside of the city is back to a healthy place. It's just gonna be used, some being in, some being out. And so what we're looking at now is we see these two placements and what they, had, what they all knew Every child of God knew that if they were chosen to stay inside the city, that it was gonna come with a cost. If they were chosen to stay inside the city, to rebuild the city, they knew they were about to endure some major problems because they're starting over. They also knew that because of where they were gonna be located, they were immediately becoming a target of the enemy. It was exposed who they were. It was exposed what they were doing. And so they immediately became a target of the enemy. But they also knew that if they were being chose to live inside the city, that they were gonna have to give up a lot of material things. They were gonna have to give up their lands outside the city. They were gonna have to give up their homes. They were gonna have to give up their occupations. They were gonna have to give up their farms. And so they're having to let go of a lot of material things that maybe they've worked hard for. 
And then another thing they knew they would face is they were gonna have to rearrange their social priorities. They knew that if they were moving into, inside the city, they were gonna be leaving friends and family behind. They knew they were gonna be leaving people that they loved, that they cared about, that they had done life with. But in that moment, they knew, again, everything that I have is a gift from God, but I've gotta be willing to let go of what God's given me to walk in faithfulness to what he's called me to do. So they knew that what they were called, being called to do was gonna cost them. You know, I think back on my journey of, of even how I ended up here at Chestnut Mountain. You know, six years, it'll be six years this October, but I can remember it like it was yesterday. Because I remember when God began to stir in my heart that my time was done at Hopewell Baptist Church. And I remember when that time began to, when God began to reveal that to me in my life. And I can tell you, it was tough. Because I knew that to walk in obedience, that I was gonna have to say goodbye to everything that was normal. I was gonna have to say goodbye to people that I had done life with people that I had grown with. And then not to mention, when God called us to South Hall, I had to sell my house in North Hall. And I know I always joke about it, the Severns now are the beneficiaries of our home in Murrayville. But as a child, if I was gonna draw my dream home, it was it. It was it. But when I knew God was calling me here, I knew that I couldn't hold on to what I wanted. And I knew that I had to let go of technically everything that I had dreamed of, everything that I had worked for. But church, I can stand and tell you that six years later, I would do the same thing. Because when we walk in obedience to God, it comes at a cost. But what I wanna tell you is the cost is worth it. The cost is worth it. That's exactly what the children of Israel who would be called inside the city, it's exactly what they were experiencing. But then there was another group that, there's this other bunch of, of people that they just had to cast lots. What that literally means is to roll dice. You and I could probably better relate it to a flipping of the coin. And it was one of those, we're gonna flip the coin, heads I'm in, tails I'm out. And while we laugh about that, in the Old Testament, that was the method that was used to exercise their faith in God, is we're gonna trust the chips to fall where they may. But what's very interesting that is out of 10 people who would cast lots, one would be placed inside the city, nine would be sent back out. One would be placed inside the city, nine would be sent back out. And so we see that God is strategically placing his people where he wants to place them so that his kingdom will be rebuilt. And then there's the other group in verse two, there's one group that just volunteered. That's probably the group I love the most because all they did was say, God, I'm making myself available. God, I will do whatever it is you want me to do. God, I'm yours. I'm volunteering to pay the price. God, I'm volunteering to serve wherever it is that you want me to serve. 
And so as a child of God, what you have to understand today is that if you will trust him, he will place you where he wants to use you. You know, that's why when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we're getting close to where there's about a thousand people, even during the summer, us gathering on a Sunday morning together. But in the work week, you know how many people are in this office? Maybe 10 to 15. Because the majority God is sending out. Because God has placed you in your occupation to be a light in the darkness. And if that's you, maybe today you're here and you know your assignment. Can I tell you, stay faithful to that assignment. Stay faithful to where God's placed you. Josh Barrett is one of our FCA missionaries here. And he's having to raise support for himself. And man, he always tells me something. He still calls me coach a lot of times. I coached him when he was in the eighth grade. He was a lot shorter then. But he'll look at me and say, Brian, there's no plan B. There's no plan B. Because plan A is obedience to what God has called him to do. What if we all had the mindset there is no plan B? I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna be a light in the darkness wherever God has placed me. Or maybe today you need to be like those volunteers. Maybe in just a moment when we give response, you say, hey, God, I'm available. God, just use me. God, just use me. And so if you keep reading in chapter 11, you keep reading throughout chapter 12, midway through chapter 12, all that's made up in these chapter and a half is all of the details of the placement of God's people. Some inside the city, some outside the city. And so as we approach midway through chapter 12, you see basically the placement of God's people is finished. And now it's time to get busy. But what I love is that as we get ready to close this today, is how they closed this moment before they got to work. Verse 27 and 28 of chapter 12. Keep in mind, they've all been placed. They've all been dispersed. They're all exactly where God wants them to be. But then in verse 27, you read, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived they brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving, with singing accompanied by cymbals and harps and lyres. And verse 28, the singers gathered from the regions around Jerusalem. What's taking place is they're getting together one last time to do what God has called them to do. They're getting together one last time to walk in obedience to where God has placed them, to walk in faithfulness to how God wants to use them. And in verse 30, it says that the priests begin to purify the wall. The priests begin to purify all those that had came. The, people, the priests begin to pray over all of the people that had gathered back together to do God's work. And what that would mean is they were all in a place again of confessing their sins, worshiping the God who's rescued them, and again, committing themselves to do whatever it is that God called them to do. 
You know, we always, it's funny how everything operates because we really, we don't really operate on a calendar year from January 1 to the end of December. Because of our culture, because of, of kids going back to school, I know the way my mind is wired, we're about to have New Year's. School starts, well, for some it started last week. For the rest of us, it starts this week. And it's almost like, here's January 1, here's New Year's. And what I can't get out of my mind is the fact that, that God, in this moment of time, has dispersed every one of you entering into this year exactly where he wants to use you. Church, I don't even think we can comprehend what God's about to do in this place. But it's because you're gonna be obedient to what God has called you to do. I believe you're gonna be light and darkness. I believe our students are going back to school this year more equipped this year than they ever have in any other time. And I believe they're going in with a new boldness that maybe they've never had before. And can I tell you, we as a church are gonna to get to celebrate that. But what would it look like this morning if we, just like the children of Israel, if we gathered together, unified today, and we said exactly, simply what the, what the priest is saying is give us clean hands and give us a pure heart. God, as we do what you've called us to do, God, clean our hands and purify our hearts. I'm reminded of a pastor, I believe it's James Merritt that does this, that every time he steps from leaving his wife to step up into the pulpit, he always looks at her and he says, my hands are clean and my heart is pure. What he signifies is that he's saying, hey, I'm right with God. There's no unconfessed sin. The intimacy is there. And I know because my hands are clean and my heart is pure that I can walk in one with God today. What would it look like tomorrow morning if you go into your workplace, if you go into your school with that heart, God, give me clean hands, give me a pure heart so that you can use me today. That's ultimately what the priests are doing. He's saying, God, give us all clean hands and pure heart as you get ready to build your kingdom. It's that simple. It's that simple. But what I love is the very last verse we're gonna to read today is verse 43. And this again is a result, and this is what you're gonna see. The last point of the day, we've seen it thus far. We've seen the response to God's love. We've seen the placement of God's people. And now you're going to see God's work through his people. Verse 43, on that day, they offered great sacrifices and they rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Listen to the last part. The women and the children also celebrated and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. That should be the heart of our church. That those far away and I'm not gonna unpack this, I hadn't even really looked into it, but could it be that it was heard by those who were far away? Could that mean those that didn't have a relationship with the Lord? Those who are far away from a spiritual perspective. 
Because church, I believe that if we will bow before a holy God this morning and say, God, use us, clean our hands, purify our hearts. God, we wanna be one with you. We wanna be walking in step with you. And I believe that if we will be unified, I believe that there's gonna be a world far away that hears us rejoicing of what God has done. They're not gonna hear about Chestnut Mountain Church because last time I checked, Chestnut Mountain Church never saved anybody. But I believe what they will hear about is the Savior that we love, the Savior that we serve. That's why we're, when we're in the community, I've told you a thousand times, I don't care if you've ever mentioned this church's name because our heart should be that when people step foot on this campus, if they leave talking about us, we've missed it. When they leave, they should be talking about him. And when we rejoice together, when we're unified together, will they be able to hear far away? That's our mission statement. To saturate the world by making disciples that's here locally and also it's internationally and all of the spaces in between. But church, what would this school year look like if we're all unified, paddling in the same direction? I promise you, those that are far away will be drawn near because the word of God tells us where he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. But are we lifting him up? And so I want that to be our prayer this morning. I want that to be our cry this morning. First and foremost, give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart. Give us clean hands. And give us up your heart today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org 
And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.